right. Good morning. Are you ready to go? All right. We are on the back half of our series, Gospel Pathway, uh, where we're set out on an adventure to say we don't just want to understand the gospel, but we want to know how to live the gospel, how to apply the gospel. We don't just want to uh, use the name Christian and not experience the power of God practically in our lives. Um, and we're, uh, we're kind of rounding that last curve. We just got done three weeks on holiness, the journey. And holiness is a journey, but we're called to it. Uh, God is holy, and he calls us to be holy, to be different, to be uniquely set apart for him. And now, in this last term, we're going to spend three weeks on love the reputation. And love should be a part of our reputation. As Christians, they will know us by our what? Yeah, I gave you the answer, so I thought you would give it a little bit more boldly. Um, but, but unique love when it comes to that. Like, there's a, a, a unique flavor of the Christian love, like... Who we love, first and foremost, above everything else, is God. Um, And and in that, we're called to love our enemies. That's a bit unique. Uh, How we love, we love sacrificially. We deny ourselves in loving others. uh, Why we love, we love because he first loved us. So there's a unique flavor to the love that we're called to. But love itself is not necessarily unique to Christians. Like, everybody loves love. Like, love's a pretty popular thing in our world. Like, everybody is for love. Like, anybody in here not for love? Three mean people in the balcony. So most of us are like, we're for love. It's a good thing. Now, there is a debate on what it really means practically to be loving. Like, is it loving to support and affirm somebody no matter what their choices are? Um, Or is there like a higher truth um, and a calling and it's the most loving thing to call them to that even if they resist it? Like, we believe that as Christians. And we're defined by this love because our greatest love is God. And following him. And actually, there's three loves that should shape and define a follower of Jesus or a Christian. First is the greatest commandment, uh, where Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest? Like, there's a lot of them. So what's the best? What's the biggest? And he said what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, this is the first and greatest commandment. You need to love God. This is the highest calling. The, 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 the greatest love that we should have as a Christian is for God, to please God, to honor God, to live for God. But then he says, well, the second's like it, or it's connected. So it's to love your neighbor as yourself. So not just love God, but you should love your neighbor or your, your fellow mankind. Like we should love others. And they, that goes together. And then there's this third category that's, that's kind of unique that Jesus gave what's called the new commandment. Um, where it's not necessarily new in information, but it's new in quality, because he was talking to his disciples, and he says, you need to love one another as I have loved you. So to, to that degree, you need to have this love for other fellow Christian brothers and sisters. So these three loves, you should have a love for God, that is the primary or first love for the Christian. You should have a love for just your fellow human being, and you should have a unique love for other Christian brothers and sisters. Now, there's a fourth love that has kind of um, become consuming in our culture, even within the church. In fact, uh, some of you in here may be wrapped up in it. Uh, and it seems good, and it does have elements and truth in it, like all good lies do. It's, it's a good thing. It's just, it's just grown to toxic levels. Like it's become the highest, greatest love there could be. And that is the love of self, right? You need to love yourself. 
Right? You need to care for yourself. You need to be proud of yourself. You, you need to love you. Right? Who's going to argue with that? I mean, that sounds good. Right? You need to love yourself. But it's kind of become the greatest love. Like Whitney Houston's song, right? The greatest love of all. You guys know that? I decided long ago. Anybody? Nobody wants to join with me on that one? The children are our future. We've got to teach them well. Well, Whitney didn't teach well. Like, here's the, here's the chorus of that song. The greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. Now, I hate to disagree with Whitney, but (laughs) she got it wrong, right? It's not the greatest love of all, to love yourself. It's not the highest love, but in our culture, it's just the waters we swim in. It's the air we breathe. It's this positive message like you need to love yourself. Now, the Bible talks about the importance of rest and care for your soul. Like Jesus rested. It wasn't like he took a spa day for some me time. Like he was up late in the night healing people, got up early to go pray to his heavenly father, right? But, but he got away. He retreated and we're to read our Bibles. We're to have Sabbath. We're to rest. We're to do that. Those are all good things. It's just the love of self has turned into the prioritizing of you as the greatest love of all, that you need to love you and you need to take care of you, right? And anything in your life that causes hardship or struggle or suffering or emotional stress, that's got to be bad, and you should get rid of it. And anybody in your life that causes you hardship or stress, they're probably bad in a toxic relationship, and you need to just get away from them. And that sounds so good, except for the Bible. That's like the one of the most unchristian ideas I've ever heard of. Like, we're not called to that. But when it comes to this idea of loving yourself... As the supreme desire, then nothing is more important than your feelings and your emotions and your thoughts or your opinions or your time or your issues or your stress. And you need to take care of you. And you need to look out for number one. And who's number one? You. Right? You. You're so special. Right? And it's not all a lie. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. But it has increased to be the greatest love of all. Something's off. And when that's off, other things are going to be off. Because listen to me. What if all that focus on you is not good for you? What if you weren't made for you? There's a debate among uh, psychiatrists uh, as... To what is the biggest problem in our society? Is it low self-esteem or high self-esteem? There, there's like, what, what's the greater cause to crime and problems and dysfunction in our society? Is it, is it people have too low of self-esteem or is it people have too high of self-esteem? Like, what's the reason that a husband would come home from a long day of work and just belittle his wife and kids? Is it because he just has a, such low self-esteem that he's kind of got to tear everybody else down so he feels better about himself? Or does he just have so high self-esteem and pride that he comes home and just expects that he needs to be treated like a king? Like, what is it? You know, why would somebody go and shoot up a school? Is it that person just has so low self-esteem that they're just going to go and kind of take out their anger and emotions on other people? Or is it they have such high self-esteem that they have not gotten the respect and, and attention that they think they're owed and deserve, so they're going to go take it out on other people? Which is it? 
Like, there's this debate. What's the, what's the cause of these problems in our society? Do people have too low self-esteem or do people have too high a self-esteem? And there's a common denominator between those. It's you. Because whether you think low of yourself or you think high of yourself, what are you doing? Thinking of yourself. You're consumed with yourself. Whether you have a low opinion of yourself or a really high opinion of yourself, you're still just caught up in yourself. What if that's part of the problem? What if you being consumed with you and your issues and your problems is a part of the problem? And let's be, let's, let's be honest. You love you some you. Right? You love to talk about you. That's one of your favorite t- subjects, right? If you get your picture taken, you love to look at how you look. And if you don't like the way you look, you're still looking at you. Right? We love us some us. Like, we're, we're consumed with that. We, we, we know that. And, and maybe it's a hard conclusion to come to that that's part of the problem. Because who's, who's going to argue against love yourself? Like, I'm not up here advocating for hate yourself. That's not my message. Right? Love yourself. It's such a positive message. Like, who's going to push back on that? The problem is you start to read this book, the Bible, and Jesus says things like, die to yourself. Or if you want to find your life, lose it. Or if you want to be great, become a servant. Or consider others better than yourself. And it seems like Christian self-care is self-denial. But I don't think that's very marketable. We don't don't talk about that. Like we, We talk to our friends about our problems. We talk to our friends about what's stressing us out and what's bothering us. And as good friends, we may challenge and we say, have you been taking good care of yourself? Maybe you need a vacation. Maybe you need some rest. And some of that may be true. But when's the last time do you say, hey, are you denying yourself well? Have you been denying yourself well? We don't bring that up. But but here's the truth. You weren't made for you. And when you make life about you, that's part of the problem. It contributes to the other problems. And I know you're looking at me like I'm making this up. Let's go to the Bible. Matthew chapter 6. This is going to be our main text, but we will go to some other passages as well. I want want us to see this. This is in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 25. This is in a, a, a passage of scripture where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. He just gave a sermon on a mountain, so it got creatively titled. We're going to start in verse 25, but it starts with a therefore. So I want to give you some context of what he's saying right before this. And what he's saying right before this is you can't serve both God and money. Now, it's odd because you think you would say you can't serve both God and the devil, right? You can't do both. But he doesn't. He says you can't serve both God and money. Like the greatest competition for, for your heart, for God, is money or stuff. Or in the context of what Jesus is talking about is earthly living. You're, you're caught up in the here and now. You're living for now. You're trying to get it all now. And he's saying don't do that. Rather, store up treasures in heaven. Like, live for heaven. Live for the kingdom. Live for there. Don't get, don't get caught up in now. It's like, well, if I, if I don't get caught up in now, who's going to take care of me? And what about this? And what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? And where am I going to live? And how am I going to retire? And you get all these stress. So then he goes into the next part and say this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Like, don't just, don't be all caught up in you. Don't be wrapped up in you. Don't, don't be worried about you. Don't be all about you. What? what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And you kind of think like, those seem like some pretty basic essentials to think about. But it wasn't just about your, me- your next meal or are you going to have clothing. Those kind of things, uh, 
determine status or express status. The clothes that you wear, the type of food that you eat, the restaurants you go to, the cut of meat that you get, right? the, the outfits that you wear, this, this speaks to your status. And he's saying, don't, don't get caught up in all that. Like, don't, don't be worrying about that. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan or a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, or or people who don't acknowledge the one true God. That's how they live. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now, worrying about yourself is being condemned here. He's saying, don't, don't be wrapped up in that. Don't be wrapped up in what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and where you're going to live, and where you're going to work, and how you're going to retire. Like, don't, don't get all stressed out and wrapped up in that. And then there's given a command. Like, contrary to being all wrapped up in that, get wrapped up in the kingdom. Rather than being so consumed with your life here and now, be consumed with the kingdom of your life someday. Seek first the kingdom of God. And first means what? Not a trick question. First, right? It's got to be the priority. Like this is what needs to be the priority of your life, seeking first the kingdom of God. And listen, when our priorities are off, our problems are consuming. When our priorities are off, Our problems are consuming. And the most important thing to you is you and your life and your problems and your work and your family and your marriage and your money and your vacation. Then your problems can be devastating to your life. But I want to talk today about the most important thing to you being God. And how fitting that is and how freeing that is. Like you seeking first the kingdom of God. Or you could, you could put it this way. Us having a love, because love's the reputation that we're to have. And the greatest love of all is what? It's happening. To, no, it's God, right? <laughs> Just wake up, people, right? The greatest love of all is God, the love of God. And if love's the reputation, then we should have a love for God that is so powerful, it is shaping in us a life for God. That if we have a love for God that is the greatest love of all, that love for God is shaping in us a life for God. And that life for God could be said this way. We're on mission. Our life is about knowing God and making him known. Our life is about his glory. We're we're, we're on his mission. Now, here's the surprise, or here's the twist, or or maybe a better word is here's the paradox. Because Christianity is full of paradox. Lose your life to find it. Become a servant to become great. Here's the paradox in this. Living your life on mission for God is the best thing you can do for you and your issues. Living your life on mission is the best thing for your health, your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. It's connected. Like this does have something to do with your issues. 
But in order to pursue this, we've got to understand, well, what exactly is the mission that we're called on? So Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, what do I need to be most concerned about? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's number one. It's first. It drives everything else. And then he says, well, the second's like it. It gets connected. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You should care for yourself. But, but that was used to promote a love for neighbor. Love, love, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the outward expression of the great commandment and loving your neighbor gets shown in the great commission. It comes together practically in the Great Commission because if the greatest love of all is loving God and that should be the priority of our life, then the best thing I can do for my neighbor is help them love God because that's what they're made for. So the fulfillment of truly loving our neighbor when we first love God is helping our neighbor love God or it comes together practically in the Great Commission when Jesus gave his disciples saying, hey, I'm sending you out. All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Go, go proclaim everything I've taught you. Proclaim it to others. Go and make disciples. This is the mission. Or I love how Paul uh, puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Is that not good news? Church, let's, let's learn to love good news whenever we hear it. That is amazing. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry or the work or the task or the mission of reconciliation. So he gave us this ministry, this work, this mission of of reconciliation. And then he's going to explain what he means by reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Church, is that not good news? You got any trespassers in here? Like, you're welcome here, but I mean, in generally, sinners, any sinners? It's good news, guys. He's not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, that message of reconciliation means that our mission is primary, primarily the delivery of information. There is news to be shared. And the news is that God in Christ Jesus is not counting your sins against you anymore, that forgiveness is possible. And that's the message that we need to contribute. Therefore, we are what? ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is our mission. I'm imploring you. I'm begging you. Like, take this seriously. Forgiveness is possible. It's the mission we've been given. And he says ambassadors. And that kind of colors in what he means. Because an ambassador is somebody who would represent a king and the king's wishes to another kingdom. So if you imagine a, a, a kingdom is going to invade another kingdom, and that king sends an ambassador ahead of the king and his army to that kingdom, and the ambassador is basically going to give the terms of surrender. My king is coming, his army is bigger than yours, and we are going to win. Here's the terms of surrender, right? You, you can choose not to, and you will be destroyed. Or you can choose to surrender and live under the rule of our king. What's it going to be? Now, when Paul uses this language, he's saying, we're ambassadors for Christ, imploring people to be reconciled to God. And what he's saying is, our king, King Jesus, is coming back. And he's got an angel army that's bigger than any army on earth. And he's going to win. Here's the terms of surrender. You can choose to neglect it, and you will be destroyed in judgment. Or you can surrender and live under the rule of our king. And our king is a good king. Our king is a loving king. 
Our king is full of mercy and grace, and he is a good king. And we implore you, we implore you, take the deal. Be reconciled to God. He's not going to count your sins against you. This is a good deal. Take the deal. Like, this is the mission that we've been given. And there's going to come a time when time's up, when our king comes. So let me ask you this. Are you on this mission? Not are you trying to be the best Christian you can be and you're really trying to clean up your act. Not are you on a different mission in the name of Jesus, but are you on this mission? Like the mission God has given his people to implore other people to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, to spread the gospel. Are you on this mission? And and listen to me now. Do you understand the consequences of not being on this mission? Because maybe nobody has ever talked to you about that. Do you understand the consequences of not being on this mission? Because if you're not on this mission, you're on another mission. There's something else you're living for. Something else you're more passionate about. Something else you've made life about. If you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, there is something else you are seeking first. And it may be, like, it's not that I'm not seeking the kingdom of God at all. Like, it's important to me. I mean, it's definitely in my top five. All right? But if it's not first, it's not first. If it's not first, it's not the priority. And if it's not the priority, if your priorities are off, your problems are going to be consuming, devastating, overwhelming, crushing, because they can uh, be a legitimate threat to whatever you do have first. Whatever is most important to you, whatever it is that you're living for is vulnerable if it's not God and his kingdom. Whatever it is that you put out is the goal of life. If you want to just make money and if you're living for wealth, you can lose it. Or or if you're just trying to be as healthy and live as long as possible, your life can end in an instant. Or if you're just all about a relationship... And I just need their companionship. I need their belonging. I need to fit in. Relationships end. Or they let you down. Or they don't live up. Or they get broken. They're not perfect. Like my wife, I love my wife. My wife is an amazing woman. Wise, discerning, a servant. She'll do anything for you. She's been the janitor at this church before. She's up here singing. She writes a lot of our songs that we sing. Amazing voice. Sometimes people will come down afterwards like, your wife is the best voice. Does she ever sing for you at home? Like all the time. I sit in my chair, eat grapes. Like she just sings for me. <laughs> Amazing. And your life is awesome. But listen, as awesome as my wife is, she makes a terrible God. She makes a terrible God. And if I put the expectation on her that she has to fulfill and satisfy and she's the source of my joy and I find my fulfillment and value in her, I will crush her with those expectations. That's a place meant for God. And if you were to ask her after the service, what is it like being married to Jake? She would spend hours talking about how wonderful it is. Right? (laughs) But, guys, I make a terrible God. I make a terrible God. I love my kids. My kids are better than your kids, right? I love my kids. They make terrible gods. They were never meant to put in that position that we would find our value in them, that we would find our, as a source of joy and fulfillment in them. And when we put that expectation on people, we crush them with that. 
We put them first when they're not meant to be first. Up there, yeah, first, no. But God, you were made for God. God's kingdom is unshakable. And guys, I'm not saying that a life on mission that seeks first the kingdom of God is easy life or it takes away all your problems. In fact, you'll probably get some new ones. I get some more problems to that. I mean, Jesus was clear. It's the narrow road. Count the cost. But real Christianity or living on mission or seeking first the kingdom of God gives our problems a new context that makes them less consuming. You with me? Seeking first the kingdom of God gives our problems a new context that makes them less consuming. Because when our priorities are right, when God is first and seeking the kingdom is first in our life, it changes what life's about. It's a new storyline that's unfolding. It changes what life's about. Our life is no longer about just making money or fitting in or getting that job or retiring here or getting married or having a family. Because if that was the case, cancer could ruin that real quickly. Losing a job could devastate that in a heartbeat. Getting caught up or entangled in addiction could wreck that. And if, if that's, that's your storyline, that would be devastating. Like all I wanted was to have a, a, a wife and a family. All I wanted was a husband and a family. All I wanted was that job. Is that too much to ask? All I wanted was to be able to retire by this age in a nice place. All I wanted was this. All I want, you know, it's like, but if that's what you're seeking first, something's going something's gonna to destroy that. It's, it's vulnerable. But if life is about God and his glory and his kingdom, cancer or job loss or the struggles of addiction, those are just new opportunities to show the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God the grace of God, to talk about the goodness of God. Guys, listen to me. There is an indestructibleness about a life on mission. There's an indestructibleness about a life on mission. You see this clearly in Paul. Here's one of the things he said in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And what has happened to Paul? He got thrown in jail so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that to all the rest of my imprisonment, is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's saying, I got thrown in jail. And if your life is about something else, that's a, that's a bummer. Right? That kind of detours the plans. It, w- it would be devastating to your life. But Paul's like, I'm good. I'm good. The gospel is advancing. God is using this. It doesn't change what my life is about. He had this indestructible life. It's like wherever he's going, and and more people are more bold to speak the gospel because of this. Praise the Lord. I'm in jail, but praise the Lord. This is great. Or here's James' perspective. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Or here's how Paul says the same uh, principle in Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts of the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Like, different perspective on suffering, because that's a different storyline. Like, any trials that we go, like, if you're seeking the wrong thing, it's going to wreck you, it's going to be devastating, but, but with God at the helm, and seeking first the kingdom of God, 
You're just saying like, this is just going to produce in me. It's going to just produce endurance and hope and character. It's going to be a new opportunity to show God's goodness. Or here's another passage. Matthew 5, this is in the Sermon on the Mount as well. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If your story and your goal in life is for you and not the kingdom of God, that's a bummer. Like people reviling you and persecuting you. But he's saying, no, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's a different storyline. Right? I got to fit in. I need you to like me. No. God approves of me. I don't need your approval. Like the different story, indestructibleness. Here's another passage. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep or who have died. That you may not grieve as others who do have no, have no hope. Like it even changes how we see death. Death doesn't wreck life. Like it, it, it fulfills it. It reaches your goal. Here's how Paul puts it in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul is talking trash to death. I don't, I'm not scared of you. What are you going to do to me? Kill me? Well, then I'm goal accomplished. This is what he says in Philippians 1 again. For me to live is Christ and to die is what? It's gain. What are you going to do, death? You can't do anything to me. Send me to Jesus? That's what my whole life is about anyways. Like there's this indestructible life when you seek first the kingdom of God. Suffering, going to produce. Death, going to bring me to Jesus. Imprisonment, going to give me a new platform. Like nothing. Or here's, here's how he puts it in 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Any amens on that one? Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Even the suffering that Paul went through, and he went through suffering, he's saying, this is just going to make me long for heaven all the more. This is going to make heaven all the sweeter. There's this indestructible life of living on mission and seeking first the kingdom of God. Listen, guys, kingdom living puts earthly problems in their place. Kingdom living puts earthly problems in their place. Let me ask you this. Have you let your problems become more consuming than your mission? Have you let your problems become more consuming than your mission? It's what you think about. It's what you dwell about. It's what you talk to others about. It's just kind of starting to define your mind and your life. And living for God on mission kind of drifts into the back where it's not even practically an aspect of your life. You're just consumed with your problems. And we can get this victim mentality. Like, I can't live for, I can't, I'm not ready to share the gospel with people. I'm not, I got enough of my own problems. Like, I got to get my stuff figured out first. Like, I got to deal with me. I don't have time for that. Like, yeah, maybe someday I'd like to, but I'm too much of a mess now. But seeking first the kingdom of God is not a seasonal thing. It's not like, oh, someday I'll be able to do that. Once I get my life together, then I'll do that. Seeking first the kingdom of God is first. And if you think it's a later thing, then it's not first. We can have this mindset that I can't help anyone else until I'm healthy. And we just end up spending time on us, just working on me, just working on my heart, just trying to get healthy, and just work on me, work on me. How healthy do you need to be to start helping other people? And what if helping other people is part of you getting healthy? See, guys, recovery is more than just kicking the habit or resolving the conflict. True recovery 
is about recovering what life is ultimately about. God and his glory and his kingdom. So like I said last week, sometimes as a pastor, people will come in and want to talk with somebody about trying to get over a problem, a sin struggle or, or marital conflict. And um, when we sit down, one of the questions that we'll ask, like I said last week, was, you know, how's your Bible reading? How's your time in the Word? Which they're usually frustrated and look at me like, what does that have to do with this? Well, another question is, tell me how you're living out the Great Commission. Which, again, you, you're wondering, like, no wonder nobody comes and talks to you. Uh, <laughs> but the, the same kind of look of, like, what does that have to do with that? I'm just struggling with this. I need some help. Or we got a marriage problem. Just help us with this. Like, you're trying to, like, I already feel guilty enough. Now you want to make me feel more guilty? It's like, no. It's connected. It's, it's connected. Because you have deeper issues under your issues. And you don't just have a communication problem or just a porn problem or just a drinking problem or just a greed problem. You have a worship problem. And somewhere along the way, you've made life about something life's not ultimately about. There's something else you're seeking first. And we've got to correct that. We've got to find that. We've got to reroute that. We've got to get you to, uh, back to making life about what life is about. And we think, no, I just, I just got to kick the habit. I just got to fix the marriage. I just got to resolve the conflict. But there's more to life than just those earthly problems. There's more to life than just what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. And we tend to make life about those things. We tend to make life all about those issues. And, listen to me, we see value in God if he can help me fix those things. I see value in God if he can help me kick the habit. I see value in God if he can help resolve the marriage. I see value in God if he can help get me out of debt. I see value in God if he can help with these other issues. But listen to me. God does not exist for you. You exist for God. And getting that right sets you up for getting everything else right. And getting that wrong leads to all kinds of other problems. Here's what I want you to remember if you're a note taker. Mission keeps life about what life is about. Mission. Living for God keeps life about what life is about. And it should flow out of a love for God, the greatest love of all, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that love should lead us to living for God. Now, I didn't say worship. And when you think of worship in Scripture, all of life, how we live, our obedience, everything is an act of worship. But when you say worship, sometimes we think of what happens here on a Sunday morning, like corporate praise, expressing praise uh, to God. That's extremely important. And I would say worship in that sense reminds us what life is about. And it is so important for you and your soul. When you're just kind of entrenched in this world, it's all about you and your problems. It is so healthy for you to gather with other believers and just be like, oh yeah, God's still on his throne and he's still great and he's still in control and I love our God and his mercy is wonderful and I want to adore and praise our God. Like your soul needs that. You need to be reminded that your life is not about you and it's about the greatness of God and worship helps do that. It reminds us of what life is about. But mission... Mission keeps life what life is about. Because mission is worship beyond singing. Mission is worship showing up in your calendar. Mission is worship that shows up in your bank account. Mission is worship that shows up in your relationships. Mission is an important part of recovery. 
Let me tell you about Peter's recovery. If you remember the story of Peter uh, towards the end of Jesus' life on earth, he told Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, I would never do that. So Jesus is like, well, let's play it out. Let's see what happens. See if you're right. See if I'm right. And sure enough, Peter denies Jesus. Doesn't get to interact with him again before his crucifixion. Can you imagine how Peter felt? His friend, his Lord, his king, last interaction was denying him and letting him down. Well, in John 21, there's a scene where Peter's sitting with the other disciples. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And for us reading that, we might think, you're bored? It's a Saturday afternoon or whatever. You got to do something? Sure, let's go fishing. Like just some buddies grabbing some nets and let's go fishing. But what did Peter do before he was a disciple? He was a fisherman. And here his leader, who gave him a new job as his apprentice, is gone. And it was like, well, it was a good run, but I got to make a living and I got to do something. I'm going back to fishing. And then the other disciples went with him. And they were in the boat, and they weren't catching anything. In fact, anytime scripture talks about Peter fishing, he's bad at it. Like, he's never catching. It's like, maybe he ought to try something different. Maybe he's not catching anything. And Jesus shows up on the shore, and they don't know it's Jesus. But he says, cast your nets on the other side. So they do it. Like, what can hurt? Like, it worked before. Uh, and they catch 153 fish in one net. And the nets didn't break. And John says to Peter in the boat, it's our Lord. And Peter puts on his garment. And he just jumps onto the water. Like, am I going to walk again on water? Nope, we're swimming. So he swims to the shore, right? And Jesus is there and he meets him. And Jesus has breakfast ready. I love Jesus, right? He's got breakfast ready there. And he gathers up the disciples and they're having breakfast together. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these and you're like, these? What are these referring to? The fish. Basically, he's asking Peter, do you love me more than fish? Like, then why'd you go back to fishing? Why, why did you let your failures redirect your mission when I called you to something better? Because that's what you did. Do, do you love fish more than me, Peter? Is that it? No. He says, well, then feed my sheep. He says, if you love me, then do what I called you to do. Be on mission. And don't let your failures pull you away from that. And you staying on mission has to do with you loving me. So Peter, let me ask you again, do you love me? He's like, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Get back to work. Get back to what I called you to do. Stop walloping in your failures. Stop pouting like, you, like it's all done with. I got you. So why are you fishing? Do you love fish more than me, Peter? No, you know me, Lord. You know I, don't. I love you. Then feed my sheep. Get back to work. Get back to the mission that I've given you. And it was driven by love. You love Jesus? Does your love for Jesus lead to a life for Jesus? Or maybe you're walloping in your failures, your depression, your problems. And you need Jesus to come to you and say, hey, do you love me? Do you love me more than that? Because that doesn't define you. I define you. And I called you to this.
mission keeps life about what life is about. Life is not about your struggles. It's about your God and his glory and his kingdom. So maybe you're consumed with your problems. Maybe you feel like an awful person and you're trapped in sin struggles or grief. And if that's you, I know it sounds counterintuitive because you just want to solve the problem. You just want to deal with the problem. But what if the best thing you can do in the midst of your problems is just to kind of take your attention and your eyes off of your problem and put it back onto your God and put it back onto your calling, put it back onto your mission? I mean, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but in the midst of these problems, whatever it is, and you know what's going on in your own life, what if instead of asking, you know, what, what if I said this, and what if I did this, and how can I solve this, and we need to do that, what if you stepped away from that a bit, and you asked more missional-minded questions, like, how is my worship? Yeah, I know I got my stuff going on, but when's the last time I just adored God for who God is and what he's done? How's my prayer life? Are my prayers consuming or are they filled with my problems and all about me? And maybe I should take some time to pray for other things. Just thank God and pray for other people. How's my serving? Is my calendar or my time just say that I'm all about me or does it say that I seek first the kingdom of God? How am I doing serving? And who can I help? How's my giving? Does my bank account say that I'm seeking first the kingdom of God? Or does it say that I'm seeking first other things and I'm all about me? Does my bank account say worship? How's my evangelism? When's the last time I implored somebody else to be reconciled to God and shared the gospel with them? And guys, it's connected. It is connected. It's connected to your drinking problem. It's connected to your greed problem. It's connected to your marriage problems. It's connected. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or have your problems overshadowed your mission? And I'm telling you, if you get your priorities right, it's going to give a new context to your problems. And I'm not saying don't get help. Please don't say, leave here thinking like, well, Jake said just ignore your problems and give money and share the gospel. I mean, give money, but it's <laughs> not what I'm saying. Listen. If you've got sin struggles you're wrestling with, if you have marriage problems, get help. Talk to somebody. Yes, do that. But listen, something that will help is not letting your problems become bigger than your mission. Seek first. The kingdom of God always applies. It always applies. And here's the thing, guys. I want you to get this. Seeking first the kingdom of God is not to neglect the other stuff in life. It's to trust God with it. It's to invite God into it. If you go back to Matthew 6, he's saying, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Or consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, it's God doing that. And so God knows how to take care of his people. God knows how to take care of you. And you seeking first the kingdom of God and saying, God, I trust you with all this other stuff. It's not my job, it's your job. You're a good father who knows how to care for your children. It invites God into that. Listen, you loving God puts you on mission, but you knowing that you're loved by God keeps you on mission even through the hard times. I don't have to like make the drive of my life fitting in and getting people's approval because I have God's approval. 
I don't have to make the ambition of my life to prove my worth and value because I have it already in God. I don't have to make the ambition of my life atoning for myself. I have the grace of God. And I don't have to be devastated by my failures because I have the mercy of God. I am free to live for God because of God. So maybe a part of your problem is you're more consumed with your problem than your God. It's all that you think about. It's all that you talk about. It's what you meet about. And you just over and over and over again. But hear me, church. I love you. It is not good for you to be all about you. You weren't made for you. And we can't keep calling self-centeredness self-love. If you really want to love yourself, prioritize God. If you really want to love your neighbor, prioritize God. If you really want to love your spouse, prioritize God. If you really want to love your kids, prioritize God. Mission keeps life about what life is about. And staying on mission will protect you from your problems, leading you to make your life all about you. So church, this, this is a little practical step, but... This week, I would ask you to assess with other people, how's mission going for you? Talk to some friends, talk to your connection group. You openly talk about your problems, openly talk about your mission. Who are you trying to share the gospel with? How are you serving? How is your giving? How are you outward focused? And our hope is that our love for God would be evident, not just on Sundays when we gather and sing together, but our love for God would be evident throughout the week in the way that we live for him. And our kingdom first living would put our earthly problems in its place. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I know I went long. I just got a lot to say on this. It's a big deal. You are our source of joy. And we foolishly, like sheep, go astray. We look to other things to give us value, to fulfill us, to give us joy when we were made for you and you perfectly provide. I pray for your mercy on us, that your spirit would lead us back to yourself, that we would treasure you for the prize that you are, and that we would get our mind and our heads and our eyes and our thoughts out of our own junk and put them on you and seek first you and your kingdom, trusting you with everything else, that we would live on mission. And living on mission would give a new perspective to the problems we go through now. Pray this in your name. Amen.